Hello and welcome to the Bound Cause, where we found our cause and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my right is Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Now, this episode, as per usual, is another Theodore concoction, but as per usual, we are doing without Theodore today, so hopefully it's in the spirit of things. Today's topic, Sebastian, is how did the apostles share? And I think the first question we should ask ourselves when we're examining the topic of how did the apostles share the gospel and all the rest is, do we care? Should we share like the apostles shared? Is it relevant to today? Because, you know, it was 2,000 years ago and things have changed as far as how we distribute things, the internet, the printing press, um, culture has obviously changed. So do we care how the early church shared? Do we care how the apostles shared? Do we care Christ shared? Or are we free to do whatever we want today? Well, you are free to do whatever you would like. And there are many approaches. I would say humans tend not to change, even after 2,000 years. People still have the same, pretty much essentially the same achings in their souls. Idolatry is still a thing. It just looks a little bit different. And people tend to have similar objections to Christianity. It might just take different shapes and, and forms, but it's pretty much essentially the same. So I think it is definitely worth looking at what the apostles said and also they were commissioned by Jesus to spread Christianity. So I think it is worth taking the time and seeing what they said, how they did it. And I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Uh, I think just that. I Just like you said, Sebastian, I wouldn't say that there's a biblical command that you must share like the apostles shared. Um, so when we go over how they shared in this episode, don't take it as a, as a must-follow handbook. However... I think just like in a lot of things, you should have a good excuse as to why you aren't sharing what the apostles shared. And I don't mean a good excuse as in any excuse. I mean a good excuse. Just like um, with tithing, for example, this is what I think of it as. I do not believe there's a biblical command that you must tithe 10%. In fact, if you do some math on the way tithe works, sometimes it's like 12% or it changes based on what you're actually giving. Um, so with that in mind, I think culturally we give 10%. It's called the tithe because it's 10%. And we get that roughly from Leviticus. So... If you are going to tithe to your church less than 10%, you better have a good excuse. I think you're allowed to, again, considering mm -hmm. the non-legality of the issue, but you should have a good excuse. It shouldn't just be, oh, I didn't want to. Um, so equally, when we're sharing your gospel differently, like if we're doing handing out tracts um, instead of what we're going to talk about today, or if we're doing like laser light shows or like only inviting people to churches or some other funky ways of sharing the gospel, maybe by the sword, um, we should have a good excuse to do that. And I don't think the excuse should be, well, they wouldn't believe um, or this is how I was taught to do it or whatever else. Or I think this is a good idea without justification. So that being said, let's talk about how the apostles taught. Again, it's a good base. We know they shared it in a good way. So at least this is a good way to share the gospel. Um, before we start with the apostles, we should probably start with Jesus Christ himself and how he shared. Uh, Sebastian, I'm going to ask you rhetorically, I guess, but I'm sure you can answer Jesus commissioned the apostles, like you said. Uh -huh. How did he, he, when he was still on earth, commission his apostles to go out and spread the news? By anointing them, like giving them a command. Mm -hmm. And also, if this is what you're getting at, he sent them out in pairs. Yeah. And this, uh, the, no right or wrong answers here. Honestly, this is just a discussion. The, a lot of people, including like the Mormon church and some others, mm -hmm. are really obsessed with the way he sent them out in pairs. So he sent out his disciples, not only the, the apostles, the 12 apostles, but also like the 50 disciples. He sent them out two by two and he gave them instructions like, don't take payment for your services. Uh, if a town doesn't accept you immediately, then just wipe the dust off your sandals and leave. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that town will be damned. Um, and then he says in this whole context, you will not have finished going around all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes again, um, which we assume means him coming again in judgment in 70 AD. So they come back, the 50 disciples come back and like periodically come back to Jesus. Maybe they finished their rounds. Maybe they were just like pausing and going with Jesus. And of course, I don't know that this whole course of action continued, um, but we know that the instruction changes in the very end of the ministry because he tells um, the disciples originally don't take a sword, don't take any extra stuff. But in the end, when, when distress is coming, he says, now you should take extra shirts and you should take food and you should take a sword because you'll need to be prepared as you go out and share the gospel. And so while I understand where people point when they do like when they say you should go two by two like they did in the beginning, I don't know 
that that's a requirement anymore considering Jesus, it was a temporal thing for mm-hmm. teaching just Israel. Um, so there's that. I mean, that's, I don't have like a strong, strong opinion on that, but considering Jesus like changes the command at the end, I don't think it's still our mm-hmm. command today to go out two by two. Now, can it be beneficial? Oh, definitely, yes, because in case you're forgetting something, the other person has got your back. So, but yes, it is not an order like how it was back then. Yeah. And that's my opinion too. Like crew, campus crusade for Christ, they send people out two by two. And again, like I said, the Mormons do. I think it can be useful. Um, but again, not necessarily a command. But that's to say, uh, an examination of how Jesus sent them out. He did send them out at some point, two by twos, um, in a very uh, wandering kind of style where they didn't take any extra stuff. They weren't taking extra food. So if somebody didn't, host them they would have to leave because they need shelter they need food someplace else Mm -hmm. um and then he commanded them in the end to to take it shelter so you could i could say go either way i wouldn't i wouldn't um hate on somebody for spreading the gospel in some vagabond way where they're like out wandering Um, i would want them to be connected to a local body because there are other things you should uh, do in light of the gospel in light of the commands of the bible including be connected to a local church not just you and your bible under a tree um, but I suppose there's a way for missionaries to go about wandering through a land to, to preach the gospel. Yes, you probably would have to have a very strong and certain calling from God to do that. But I would say, you know, if you haven't felt that, but you still would like to serve, you can go with the blessing of a church. I think that's the most sound and reasonable thing you can do. Unless, you know, God calls you like Elijah and then run to the wilderness, sprint to the wilderness. and Yeah. I mean, barring any like <laughs> direct commands, I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this is a real grab bag of issues. And before we get to the apostles, I think the apostles are a little mm-hmm. more organized. Jesus himself also, of course, preaches about himself, shares the good news. He's the origin of the good news in a couple ways. Um, I'm going to throw it back to you, Sebastian. When Jesus preached, he often avoided directly saying, "Like I am." He, he often di- avoided direct. Mm-hmm. words about himself because the time was not fulfilled do you think that is still the case that we should speak in the ways that jesus spoke well the time has been fulfilled, has been fulfilled <laughs> so yes yes he's rose he rose from the dead and the example that we will get later from the apostles is that you have to tell everybody that you see that jesus has indeed risen from the dead therefore you can now have peace with god mm-hmm. because of what he did on the cross so now what you can what you can say when i find interesting is that jesus teached in parables i don't know if that is something we should do or we could do or should not do and this i'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent Uh here but um parables can be useful teaching tools obviously jesus taught in them but he tells the disciples that he's teaching in parables specifically because it's a good way to hide the truth so that those who aren't ready to hear the truth or can't hear the truth won't. So when he gives a parable about um, the seeds sowed on the field, the parable of the sower, um, some didn't understand it. And he explains it to the disciples privately um, in the backhand, but he doesn't explain it to the crowds because he says, mm-hmm. so that the Isaiah's words are fulfilled, that seeing they won't see or hearing ears they won't hear, and that will reject me. I think that I get upset with, teachers like hindus for example here all these like swamis and whatever else they teach in circles and in giant parables and it's a way of obfuscating truth and nobody really understands it and i think they just want to seem wise i don't want to be in the business of doing that today unless you're expressly repeating a parable of jesus that you're also going to explain um i don't think we should be in the business of making a ton of analogies now i'm guilty of making analogies because they're useful for teaching people but um some teachers, I'm going to point out some like big evangelicals like Tim Keller, um, but he's not like the epicenter of this. There's a lot of like big mm-hmm. evangelical pastors who preach analogies almost exclusively. And I don't think it's super useful because I think it often nuances the truth. Nuance being the French word for shading. I think it shades the truth mm-hmm. and prevents actual conviction on people who have it wrong uh, or just keeps people in the dark who have it right because people like Tim Keller or others that are using the analogies are afraid of taking strong stances that could be either wrong or just um, challenging people that would not appreciate it. So I don't think we should be in the business of using a ton of analogies today. And that's kind of a weird thing to say because I know the Reformed Church and plenty of evangelical Mm. pastors who are perfectly Mm. well-intentioned love analogies. 
Um, and again, I'm guilty of it myself, but I think we should try to stay away from parable stuff. Cause like you said, time is fulfilled. We're not Jesus any longer. We're Jesus's ambassadors. And therefore we shouldn't be trying mm. to hide the light. We should be just sharing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only have one other point about Jesus. Um, and I don't want to keep stealing your time, Sebastian, because I think you'll carry more of the apostle stuff. But when Jesus preached about himself, he did so from the scriptures. We know this uh, specifically from two parts. I'm thinking of myself, um, but three, four. I mean, he quotes the scriptures a lot. I guess it shouldn't be surprising um, that he based the preaching that he did, um, of course, in his own words. I mean, he is God, so he didn't need to speak from the scriptures because his words were scripture in and of themselves. However, he did when he teaches um, in the synagogue from the very start of his ministry. Mm-hmm. He goes to Isaiah. He preaches in front of the synagogue and says how the words, the prophecies are testifying about him. And the crowd is astonished, of course. Um, but there he is going straight from Isaiah and then, and then explaining on it. Equally, at the very end of his ministry, um, when he's risen again and the disciples don't know who he is, they don't recognize him, and he's walking along with them on the road to Emmaus, he says, well, what's going on, fellow kids? And they say, oh, are you living under a rock? You know, the, the man who we thought was the Messiah just died. Um, and then he says, he chastises them and says, well, don't you know the Messiah had to die? And then explains all the scriptures, and yes. then their eyes are open, and they realize it's Jesus. In that case, he again explains the scriptures to them that were pointing to his death and resurrection. And um, then other times in between, he, he cudgels the the Pharisees using scripture, using uh-huh. the law. Um, he Sermon on the Mount is all about the law. So even though people often say that it's his unique teaching, it's really not. It's really just an explanation of the law. Um, and then, he, I mean, it, so it is his teaching, but it's not. It's not new. And then in the same way, when he corrects the Sadducees, he says, you don't know the scriptures. And then he explains the scriptures to them um, and why there's a resurrection. And so he is constantly going to the scriptures, even though his words are authority in themselves and he does speak of his own authority. Um, he often goes to the scriptures. So I, too, think we should share using the scriptures. Yes. And I giggle when you say, do you live under a rock? Because well, I was just under a rock a few days ago. Jesus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little, a little there. Yes, yes. So something that's worth talking about there. Does Jesus shy away from the Old Testament? No. A lot of people nowadays in the US they shy away from the Old mm-hmm. Testament, which is such a such a shame. If you just read the Old Testament, and uh, yes, is there a lot of death and destruction in it? As much as in the New Testament, I would say. Is there as much love and mercy? In the Old Testament, as the New Testament, I would definitely say so. It's just lack of familiarity. Yeah. And I would say that would enhance your own understanding of the mission of Jesus, what he set out to accomplish, and what he actually accomplished in his death and resurrection. You can only know that by understanding what he spoke through the prophets before his arrival. So... You can't ditch the Old Testament. It is a useful tool that he has given us himself. So enjoy. Right. And now we do have the benefit of having the New Testament now, which is a clear explanation of the fulfillment of Jesus Christ um, in a way that's explicit and we don't have to mm-hmm. make guesses because it's explained in the New Testament. So I mean, we love the New Testament. You can get along with just the New Testament. However, you are missing something if you don't have the Old Testament. Equally, um, Jesus was able to operate on just the Old Testament. So if you're missing the New Testament... Um, you are missing something, but you can get along. And of course, we have the whole of Scripture, so I say use the whole of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that said, that's how Jesus shared. He shared uh, to, he, he commissioned apostles to share in multiple different ways. We know there's not just, just one right way to go out and share the gospel. Um, we know, too, that he pointed to Scripture. And we know three, of course, and this should be obvious, but the gospel is the good news of the coming of Jesus Christ and the payment for sin. So of course, the sharing was that the kingdom of God had come, i.e. like come and be part of the kingdom, give yourself to Christ, become a slave of Christ, a son and daughter of him, have your sins forgiven and live for Christ and through the Holy Spirit. That's the gospel, the victory message that Jesus has come. He's paid for sin. He's defeated death. And so you should come and join his army, his kingdom, his family. And so that's what Jesus did. He would preach and he would upset people. He would be tender to people, whatever else. I think it's very hard to pin down Jesus um, my last statement before I totally hand it over to you, the Apostle Sebastian, sorry, I keep talking, um, is that I have a pet peeve that I don't like when people assume what Jesus would say today. I've heard pastors, again, well-meaning pastors and some non-well-meaning pastors say things like, Jesus would never chide 
you or Jesus would never shame you. And again, these are like well-meaning conservative pastors. I disagree one because he did shame the, the apostles by saying ye have little faith and whatever else. So like he did shame people. One, mm-hmm. on just that weird, that weird issue. But equally, I don't know what Jesus would do on earth. Um, I know he'd be consistent with the scripture, um, but I can't really guess what he would say. Uh, except what he's predicted that he's going to say. So I can like guess via prophecy that he's going to return in, in wrath and, and in triumph. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know how Jesus would act in every situation. I think we have to to look to the law and to the leading of the Holy Spirit when we interact with people. But I think you should be very, very, very careful when you say Jesus would share this way or Jesus would share that way. Um, he clearly uses many methods in the in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. He sure does. And then what happens the moment he resurrects, actually, days later, and goes up to heaven? Mm-hmm. He gives instructions to his disciples, minus Judas, because uh, he's dead. Because he's dead. Yeah. And he says, go and preach, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go across to all nations and peoples of the face of the earth, which will happen. It'll take time, but it will happen. And something that Jesus had promised that happened to the apostles. I'm going also through the book of Acts in my church, so this is quite handy. He said, while he was still walking around the earth, that he would send the helper, the paraclete. Mm-hmm. Not Muhammad, but the Holy Spirit. So, in case you're wondering, Muslim claim <laughs> that Muhammad is the paraclete instead of the Holy Spirit. Obviously false. Right. And we have all heard from the day of Pentecost when they're all sitting in a house and then like the sound of wind. Muhammad busts in. <laughs> the Holy Spirit busts in and yes. inhabits them. <laughs> I will never read Acts the same way ever, ever again. Yes, the Holy Spirit busts in and like flames of fire, tongues of fire land on each of the uh, disciples, commissioning them and empowering them to learn multiple languages and preach to the crowd of people that was outside the house the good news of the risen Lord mm-hmm. and the good news of the coming kingdom. Repent and believe. So from there, what you see, the Holy Spirit is God. This is not an episode on the Trinity, but Jesus truly is God. The Holy Spirit truly is God. The Father is also truly God. We affirm the Shema, which is here Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Ahad in Hebrew and Arabic. So how does this work? Watch our episode on Trinity. Yeah, we have something on the Trinity. I'm pretty sure we have something on the Trinity. Watch that. We are empowered. The apostles are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we will see also through Acts that the disciples will commission people by the laying of hands and through the authority that was given to them by Mm -hmm. God, by Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They are creating a line of succession. Now, you may be tempted to start talking about the papacy. We'll, we've dealt with that in another... With Probably another. too much. We're in a real Catholic bashing spree, frankly. Yes, um, yes. And while, I mean, I don't disagree, I disagree mm-hmm. with the Catholic Church and all the rest, and we stand by all our comments, mm-hmm. I mean, we're not just a Catholic bashing channel. Right, so. <laughs> right. But we do want to respect the institution that mm-hmm. God did set out that, and this is what we talked about with missionaries, that you want to lay on hands of people. Is it because you have the magical powers to pass on authority to that person? No, it is simply, I would say, out of respect for God and the institution that he has laid out for us. And like, likewise, why do we baptize people? <laughs> oh, this is going to trigger some. Does baptism actually um, wash away your sins? Of course not. No. Yes. But the Lord still taught us to do it, and we must honor and respect him, not because, say, sir, yes, sir, but because we love him. And clearly, it is an important symbol of what has happened in our lives. Likewise, lay on hands. Now... I want to move fast too. We're going to look at some examples. They have the Holy Spirit. They're going out and about for Judea in Israel at first. And eventually, Peter and John and other early believers, they start to get in trouble with the Jewish leaders because obviously they don't like Jesus being Uh preached. But nonetheless, even, even if they're not too happy to hear about Jesus... Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, will still preach the good news. So I think it's worth and you, and it's going to be worthwhile to go over one example. 
from chapter 4 in Acts. So he's speaking to the rulers of Israel. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And, you know, Powerful. I'm, I'm going to lay out just some principles there, what you see him do. And I think they're generally applicable principles that mm -hmm. you can use in any culture and time. One, he hits them with something very relevant that they cared about. In this case, it was the fact that they'd healed a lame man mm -hmm. in front of everyone. So the Pharisees were incensed. It's like the Jesus thing all over again. Here's miracles happening and it's not from us, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it's relevant. It's culturally relevant to all of them. They care about it. It's something they're invested in. So it's something that, that irks them and it points to God because of the healing. So one, they hit something that was culturally not just relevant, um, but like poignant, something that actually affected people's emotions. Ah, you're talking about the risen guy. Um, whether or not we use like miraculous works all the time to do that is a totally different conversation. I it's think. up to God. Yeah, um, it's up to God. I mean, if you heard this podcast before, you know that we're not against uh, gifts, uh, miraculous gifts like that. But we think they don't often happen, especially in nations like the U.S., just because of God's timing and decisions. Um, but in any case, they pointed to something poignant that people actually cared about. Um, it, it increased emotion. And then they quoted scripture about, they quoted the psalm. I think it's a psalm. The Old Testament, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Maybe it's and okay. Jesus also. I forget. So. Whatever. They quoted that from the Old Testament. They mm -hmm. quoted scriptures. So they in incensed them somehow, um, whether for good or bad, in this case for bad. And then they quoted scripture, which pointed to Christ. So that's a pretty simple simple formula that you'll see repeated throughout the, the times of the apostles point. They do something that affects people emotionally, and then they point, they use the scripture as the sword to point people to Christ. And please note, Peter doesn't shy away from telling them what they did wrong, whom you crucified. Mm -hmm. this is, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you killed. killed uh, healed, excuse me. And you might uh, be saying, isn't it kind of a little bit rough or harsh, excuse me, to say that to the crowd? I don't think so. I think you can be direct and blunt without being obscene and barbaric in how you have to insult people to call them out, but you still need to point out the evil that was done. So the rulers and leadership of Israel, while they did not put the nails on the hands of Jesus with their own hands, they were responsible for approving uh, the death of the Messiah. So Peter calls them out on what they did wrong and also provides a solution. One person that we always talk about is Ray Comfort. He mm -hmm. does street evangelism, which is extremely intense. I don't think I am ready for that, probably because I'm a very slow talker. So I don't think I could do it. You've gotten way Maybe. faster. Over these almost 200 episodes you've done, you've been much faster. Well, thank you. Thank you. You could, you could probably pull it off far better than me. But nonetheless, it is very intense. And what he does is he brings uh, knowledge of the law of God which makes you realize your own sinfulness because a lot of people think you're good, haven't done anything wrong. And then he provides them the godly condemnation and then a solution which Christ, who rose from the dead, can bridge the gap between us and God and give us peace with God. And here he says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Meaning, actually it's echoing what Jesus said, there's the, the narrow gate. Mm-hmm. Like he is. It's also specifically echoing Caesar's command. There's no other name by which you can be saved than Caesar. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's, it's also another jab um, that's like poignant, evocative to the people that they would care about. And of course, pointing to Christ by its very nature. Mm -hmm. There's no other name that you can be saved except for Christ. Mm -hmm. So Christianity is very exclusive. And you can also find even Buddhism is exclusive. They, they, they may say yes and no, but Islam is also exclusive. So this is... We might be tempted, you know, in a tough situation when tensions are high, you want to compromise, you want to, you know, be a little more gentle. In Peru, for example, the people were, the missionaries that went up there doing the 1500s, 
based on the way church is done and all the shrines that were left around they just they compromise with the locals on local deities and saints and catholic saints right and you end up creating a huge mess don't do that so very exclusive very direct and we say all this because um, you'll see the apostles go into many different cultures. So here they are in, in Judea, and, and I'm sure Sebastian is going to go to the Areopagus, which is in Greece, so totally different culture, um, where the apostles are still sharing, or Paul shares. And then we have Philip preaches to the Ethiopian, and Matthew ends up going to India by tradition. In any case, they go to a bunch of different cultures. And Thomas many, goes to India. Thomas, sorry, Thomas goes to India. Does Matthew also? No. Whatever. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know my tradition clearly very well, and I've Sebastian already had to correct me pre-podcast before. Um, but many evangelist teachers will tell you some system they're like this is the system this is the way the early church did it whatever else i already caveat at the very beginning of this episode that jesus preaches in multiple ways he commissions in multiple ways so i do not believe we can say it's one system for always sharing the gospel i do believe it changes however um to those evangelists they also say that you need to adapt to culture Mm -hmm. which i half agree with and i half don't and to hit on sebastian's point that he just had if you're adapted to culture is capitulating to culture, you are in the wrong. Like that's an absolute no, no. Cause like Sebastian just said, if you are talking to the Pharisees, if you're talking to Judea, Peter did not shy away from pointing them out and saying, you crucified Christ. That's, I mean, it's culturally relevant, <laughs> but it's, it's against them. It's not soft peddling. Um, and in the same way, the Catholic priests, sharing in peru and in south america um to be culturally relevant they handed saints over that were basically one-for-one exchanges with local deities um and it became a huge mess because they compromised on the you shall have no other god besides god commandment um for the sake of the local people that was an evil way to try to share the gospel so we should be culturally relevant as far as saying things that people care about but it should not be compromise really in any sense Mm -hmm. And I said the word uh, exclusive. I meant that spirit. I meant that uh, dogmatically and spiritually, I suppose. But you will also see in the Book of Acts, and this might be harder for us to see in the U.S. than in other places in the world. But Philip will go to Samaria, which back in the day they were considered half Jews, fake Jews compared to the real Jews in Judea and Jerusalem. And just straight up heretics. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and they also committed idolatry, worshipped Yahweh and other gods. Okay, yeah. They had problems. Anywho, the good news of the risen Lord are not just for a nationality, a nation, one ethnic group. The apostles are going to be going to the Gentiles as well, not just the Samaritans. And in in other parts of the world, this might be more difficult. For example, we'll take India and Pakistan. We will not get into politics. They don't like each other very much. I'll say that much. It would be wrong for a Christian in India to not want to evangelize to a Pakistani simply because of the political relations between the, the two countries or whatever. And even if your whole family was taught you from from youth you must hate the other side because they're they've done this evil or they have done don't deny the evil yes they have done this evil likewise you've done them evil too but it would be a sin to not want to proclaim the good news to those people simply because of your own personal animosity or your national animosity so harder to see in the u.s very relevant for other countries not necessarily because there's a pretty big divide in the u.s too and it's just over politics so no, like a lot of true. Republicans do not want to share to Democrats because they believe Democrats have evil opinions and therefore should the evil be rewarded with salvation? No, but they should because we're all evil, right? There's mm-hmm. plenty of evil Republicans, my gosh. Um, so in the same way, just like you shouldn't um, starve Pakistan of the gospel unless the, God, unless the Lord himself is hardening the people's hearts. In the same way, we should not starve um, the gospel from our neighbors either um, even if they are Democrats or they have some other position that's equally as polarizing. So what does that mean? You have to see Christ above any other concerns in your in your immediate life. Really, it takes it takes a it takes really a miracle and transformation by the Spirit of God to be able to put aside all your past grievances to be able to move past that and be an instrument of God to someone that you may not really like. So yeah. it is 
good lesson to keep in mind. Now, Philip, we're going to talk about Philip. He meets an Ethiopian who I'm going to teach tomorrow. It's not really an Ethiopian. I would say he's a Nubian from what is now Sudan on behalf of the Kandake, queen of the Ethiopians that are not really Ethiopians. They're from Kush, from Nubia. It's just a general word for black people south of Egypt. Back in the ancient day, yes, yes. So, anyway, I'm just picking. And Philip runs to the chariot and asks the man, do you understand what you're reading? Philip asks, how can I? Said the eunuch, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. And he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. That's from Isaiah 53. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And later, the eunuch asked to be baptized. So, you see a lot. Not only did an angel, God, command Philip to go and have this miraculous encounter with this individual, mm-hmm. but I think you can grab on a few lessons, even though this was very specific to this eunuch, a very wealthy person who could afford to have a scroll in his own possession. It was very expensive back then. He doesn't understand what he, he is reading. How we don't, Let's not even speculate on how did he get a hold of the scroll, or was he a Jew, was he a convert, who knows. But... He needs an explanation, and we must be ready to give an account for the faith that is in us. That is, I should have known the epistle that it's from, but is it from Peter? Uh, Yeah, 2 Peter. Oh, oh, wow, okay, thank you, thank you. So you must be ready, because someone might be very amicable, they may have the Holy Spirit might be working in them, and you might... Be doing the person a disservice if you're not really if you're not ready to talk about your faith. It could be something very basic, or you can just sit down with the person and speak. And notice talking about the prophet Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah points to the Messiah, to the Messiah. It is good to know the Old Testament so you can point people to Christ, and then you can start with the Old Testament and transition to the New Testament because we're, we're more familiar with the New. It's an explanation of the Old. So mm-hmm. this is a wonderful example, very uh, smooth transition. The man was ready to receive the good news. Maybe he, maybe he has had an argument with someone back home. You know, some as Paul later writes, that some people plant the seeds, others water, others collect. So mm-hmm. you don't know what stage that person that you're speaking to is at so just you're just ready you may be mm-hmm. watering and then ready to harvest too like philip was and it's once again to the point that clearly the way to share the gospel is not necessarily one way because peter and john they call out pretty harshly the pharisees they're they're using a big mace to smash through some armor and then they whip out the sword of the word and cut at the flesh that's underneath the armor because mm-hmm. They were fighting people who were suited up in armor that was mm-hmm. anti-Jesus. They just crucified him for crying aloud. Whereas this eunuch does not have the armor. And he's he's ready to be cut by the word. He, he considers the word important. Um, and therefore, when Philip just shares the word with him, it cuts and is effective. And he and he repents and believes. Um, it's, it's not formulaic, um, but the persistent and consistent tool that they're all using is scripture. So again, I wouldn't say it's... 100% scripture based because again the Areopagus is going to be quoted and I don't think Paul quotes scripture there at all if I'm not mistaken so again I do not believe that sharing the gospel is formulaic um, except that it often occurs in a certain way so I, I'll just say it's a useful tool to have in your pocket to be ready to hit somebody with something that's culturally relevant I eat something important to them actually important to them um, that's the mace to break through armor if they're opposed to christianity talk about something they care about and then immediately use the word as the end to point to jesus and don't dally around as we've talked a lot about in this podcast um so in the areopagus sake i believe mm-hmm. he uses the mace to hit on something culturally relevant relevant and then he points them to jesus and in this case i don't believe he uses the word i could be wrong well don't we'll find out yeah. I'll, tell, I'll tell you i'll tell you from Acts 17 so Notice, Paul is now not anywhere near Israel. He is in the city of Athens, modern-day Greece. I mean, back then it was Greece. Speaking to Gentiles, it is not 
is not just Jews that are forming part of this, that are part of Israel now, where branch, the branches have been grafted in from all nations. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So clearly, it caught his attention. There were a lot of statues and temples and also strange uh, rituals that were happening at the time. And then the Jews from the city, they tell them to speak at the Areopagus, which was a gathering place um, a little bit a little bit outside of the city in Athens and Large Rock. That's where debates happened. And people were confused, wondering, what is this guy talking about? One, the one God? Some foreign God? Who knows? So then they took him and brought him to the meeting at the Aropagos, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who live there spend their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So even Luke is a little bit sarcastic in, in his writing from this. Luke wrote Acts, by the way. And Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Aeropagos and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. You're in, you, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am about to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of, of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live more, we live and move and have our being. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear more about this. And they come back at a later time. You were right. He does refer to things that he sees in the city, like the statue of the unknown God. And also near the end, he does cite from Epimenides and from a, another Stoic philosopher later. So you may be wondering, should any Christians even touch anything relating to any foreign religion or art or philosophy or whatever it may be? Well, I say you clearly can definitely use it to prove a point. Right. It, it's grabbing, again, something they care about. They care about their poets. People care about movies or quotes that they believe. You're, you're grabbing something they already believe and then smashing them over their head with it. Um, it. You can be gentle in the way you smash it over their head, I suppose. I mean, I think Paul is fierce here, but not nearly as fierce as John and Peter against the the Pharisees. So he's sarcastic. I like Paul is sarcastic and saying they're religious Very people. Very religious. They have these things. Um and then he uses their own poets against them. So I think he is being aggressive, but not nearly as aggressive as John and Peter. And then equally, Philip was not aggressive at all as the Ethiopian. So you can see there's, again, varying degrees of aggression. There's varying <laughs> degrees of even using scripture. Um, of course, they all point to Christ. So, I mean, you can't have the gospel without some sort of evangelizing. So you need to point people to Christ and that he's the way to salvation. Um, in this case, Paul gives like a full rounded summary of the gospel and that God created the heavens and the earth. Like he's having to start from base one because these people don't have a shared base. Um, so again, it, it just goes to show again, that there's not a particular formula, except that you want to push Christ and you can share like Philip did. If somebody has a shared base of scripture and really they just need correction, um, point them just using the sword, gently correct them, slice the things that are wrong and point them to Christ. Um, if they are directly opposed to Christ, well then use a fearsome mace to smash the armor, um, like saying, or like using the resurrection of, or, uh, lame guy getting 
walking legs, um, <laughs> like in the case of James or John and mm-hmm. Peter, or, mm-hmm. or something equivalent, right? Pushing somebody's um, philosophy to its breaking point, like in the case of atheism, which is usually militantly against Christianity, or in the case of those who are just ignorant but they don't have a shared understanding. Um, you can go with Paul's method of um, not even quoting scripture because it's not as uh, same base, but using the the concepts in scripture like creation and the coming of Christ to point them into scripture's direction while grabbing onto something they care about, their own poets, their own philosophy, that kind of thing. Right, right. And he, and he does this, and you, you, if you're going to do missionary work, you have to be mindful of their background, as Michael has said, of those people. In the Greek world, they would have believed that the universe was eternal, that there wasn't a point in creation, and... Same also when I read the Xi'an steel from when Christianity arrives in China, they also have to address the fact that in Christianity, there was a point in time in which God created the universe, whereas in a lot of Asian cultures and religions, the universe is eternal and matter is recycled and the gods spawn from creation, right. meaning they're not outside of creation. Like Yahweh, he created everything because he's outside of creation. So you have to be very, you have to be mindful of your audience and you have to be prepared ahead of time knowing you know if you start talking about gods or god what's going to come up to their mind so you want to make sure you clarify that so you see paul tunes his message in a way that addresses the problems that the athenians and the greeks and hellenists would have had but doesn't shy away from saying this is idolatry this is this is not good and rather turn to the one true God who doesn't live in a temple. Mm-hmm. In the Greek world, they believe that the, in the temple, that was the actual house of the deity. So if you touch the statue of the deity, you are touching that deity. But it doesn't move. So, you know, there's, a, there's that problem too, that even the prophet Isaiah mocks um, in, in, his, in his book. So definitely tune it to the audience. But if there is a problem with the religion of the part of the world that you're in or the culture, you have to correct it. You cannot compromise. Right. Otherwise, you will end up making a huge mess. Like in Peru, Central America, even in Africa sometimes too, like with the, uh, the traditional religions that uh, spirits inhabit objects or mountains or trees. In Japan too, they had something similar. You have to be very careful to address that, clarify the meaning of the word God, clarify the meaning of salvation, mm-hmm. creation. But you'll, you'll know, but be very well prepared is what I'm saying. As far as other apostle examples, I and mean, we have Stephen, not an apostle, but early church, who gets martyred. And some would say that the only right way to evangelize is if people are angry enough to martyr you, and then you have to let yourself get martyred. Um, it's what Stephen did, right? And it's a powerful thing, but it's once again not a rule and thumb because um, people try to martyr and kill Paul and he raises again and walks out and goes back in and then he escapes sometimes persecution. And Clearly, you don't have to get martyred and God doesn't always martyr those who he's using. So um, I would, the, you can see the theme of the episode is that clearly we're called to evangelize all the nations and we're called to point to Christ in all things. And often we should use the word because it's the sword that cuts people. However, if somebody is arguing that there's only one way to do things, an argument I hear all the time, by the way, it's something that's near and dear to my heart, and I I don't agree with it, is people who say relational evangelism is the the effective way. And the assumption, the the underlying assumption there is that it's the only way to do the things. I vehemently disagree with that. People Mm -hmm. who say that street preaching is wrong because it's provocative, I, again, vehemently disagree with that. There are also those, much more in the minority here, that would say that the only way to preach is street preaching, and I would also disagree with that. So you have people who say you need to get to know somebody before you can evangelize them. That is a way to evangelize, Mm -hmm. and it's perfectly powerful, and your testimonies people converted like that all the time, but it's not the only way. And equally, some people will say you have to quote scripture at people. I mean, I've even said that in the past. I think it is a very, very effective tool, and you can see the apostles using it all the time, but you don't necessarily need to use it. Um, so I think be wary of those who say there is one way that Jesus evangelized, or there's one way to evangelize, or even just two ways. Clearly, there are many ways to evangelize. You can use any of these as a basis for what you do today, um, but because there's so many ways, it's almost different every time you hear somebody else doing it in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. 
I think that we would be remiss to say that you have to share like the apostles, like we said in the very beginning of the episode. I think you could come up with some other creative way to evangelize, whether it's through the metaverse and virtual reality churches or whatever else. Um, you want to be wary of change just because it's untested and maybe you will unknowingly go into some compromise or some non-effectual ways. So you want to be careful when you do that, conservative when you do that. However, I think we should also be um, wary of those who say there is only rigid ways to share the gospel. Of course, we want to stay true to what the gospel is and that Jesus Christ and the Trinity and uh, not compromise. Um, let me see the many episodes we have in theology about that. Um, but once again, I want to be as lenient as possible on the way you share the gospel because uh, the scriptures show that it was shared a lot of different ways. And I would, as long as you're focused on the word of God, we remember from Paul's epistle that all is, all of scripture is God breathed mm -hmm. and for correcting, instructing, and to perfectly equip the man of God. Paraphrasing. My, you almost got my, it. I think okay. that's almost a direct quote. Okay. And it is, keep, keep in mind, it says many groups go against this. That, oh, that's not what it means. You know, clearly there's more to scripture. Well, it says to perfectly equip the servant, the man of God. Or woman of God too. So with scripture, you really have all you need to address the spiritual needs of the, pe of the people. Again, the Bible is not a, you might not be able to find the, all the answers that you're looking for. Like for example, how did, how exactly did the flood happen? I don't think we really know. Mm -hmm. You can speculate, you can have fun, you can go in dangerous directions with that. And how exactly did God create a universe? Like how did matter come to be? You know, you can speculate. The Bible doesn't really answer that, but it does perfectly equip you to handle the uh, calling out for repentance of people, addressing their sin issues, and then pointing them to the way of salvation that God has provided for us. So in that way, I do think that it gives you the full equipment, all that you really need to go out there. But you have to be familiar with the word of God otherwise. Yep. You're not really equipped if you don't know what you have in your in your tool belt. You can use all kinds of means. You can use Old Testament, New Testament. You can use fire and brimstone in any setting. Even if you're on a meet and greet situation, you can have a very polite meet and greet like Philip and the eunuch. Or you can pull, pull a Paul in your meet and greet and smash everyone and calling them idolaters. It's a fair thing to do. Or you could be a street preacher and you have a very receptive audience, like when the apostles were in Jerusalem, when they all felt sorry that they had done evil to the Messiah. And then what can we do to be saved? It's like, repent and believe, mm -hmm. Peter says. In another situation, not to the Pharisees, but to the regular people. And uh, you may have a fiery uh, street preaching in which they're they are about to murder you right. if you are not careful. And they sometimes might like they did with Stephen. Something else I want to say, also difficult to relate to, but in, in the US, maybe you disagree, Michael, but um, I'll, go, I'll go to India. Nothing against India, but it's just more clear there, the, the distinction in class, in social class of people. Paul addresses this and his basically pray for all kinds of people, kings, people in authority. Paul ends up preaching to oh my goodness what was the name of that governor in Caesarea so when he's going back and forth between Jerusalem and Caesarea and the sea I'm also forgetting I'm yes. not gonna remember he preaches to a governor uh -huh. and stays in his house for a while and he also preached to the family of the emperor we know in some of his epistles that the people from the emperor's family send a greetings and have received the message which is amazing, the fact that so early on, people in imperial office in, in the Roman Empire had accepted the gospel. In the Persian Empire too, centuries later, a lot of people would convert. What I'm getting at is, don't despise one uh, social class, one social group, simply because of, again, some prior animosity that you may have on them. So the gospel, the good news of Christ, it is for every, everyone. It isn't just for one, for humble people that humble themselves. It is also for rich people. It is also for politicians. Mm -hmm. It is for poor people, for violent people, from sad for sad people, or all kinds of people. 
and we also address the ethnicity as well so yeah and uniquely i think in the u.s maybe not super uniquely but we tend to despise the rich i mean sometimes we're not i think human nature is not to despise the rich is to love the rich and then despise the poor so gospels say a lot about um, the opposite but they also warn against um favoring the poor over the rich so in the same way like you just said sebastian don't not pray for your political leaders because I think we tend, even I tend to think that because they are part of the judgment of a God on our land for wickedness, that there's no hope because they're always going to be bad and because of their nature in, in politics. But don't cease to pray for kings and those in authority. Um, so pray for your local politicians, even if they're super wicked or if they're currently righteous or supposedly righteous, like pray for them <laughs> because they need it. And those positions are um, can be very powerful tools for the spreading of the word. Right. And until any politician becomes more wicked than Emperor Nero, whom Paul met face to face, I would say he met face to face after the end of the book of Acts and preached to him. He wasn't, Nero wasn't a nice man. You can read more about him. He was a very despicable, wicked, evil, twisted, whatever, whatever adjective you want to throw in there. And he still says, yeah, pray for the emperor, pray for those kinds of people. So until your politician becomes as despicable as near, you have no excuse to not pray for the guy or gal. And I'll just reiterate it again because Sebastian was already saying it. I don't want it to get lost. Even if you don't quote the Bible in your sharing of the good news, like Paul didn't at the Areopagus and some others did, even if you don't, you have to be well-versed in the word before you go out sharing, just like Paul was. And he was using his background in the knowledge of Scripture to share even on the Areopagus, even if he wasn't directly quoting. So always be equipped by the Bible. And if you find yourself reading or listening to more James White or William Lane Craig or whoever your favorite apologist is or favorite book is side by side or um, uh, It's Good to Be Man or any of these ones that I've liked <laughs> or others have liked, I don't know, I'm thinking of, of recent books. Um, those are great books, useful often, um, but don't forget that you should really be spending more time and referencing far, far, far more than any other um, the Word of God. So if you're going to evangelize, you have to be rooted in the Word of God. And that's why we found our cause. In serving the Lord Jesus Christ, I've been Michael, the man behind the machine. And to my right, your left has been Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Thank you for listening. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you're going to have to go to foundcause.podbean.com. That's where you can download them all for your listening pleasure. That's audio only, though. And uh, especially for our spicy response videos, you're going to want to see our faces. I mean, we have some quality faces. I'm wearing a shirt today that says always organic, which I am definitely not. Um, <laughs> Anyways, you're going to have to go to YouTube. You're going to have to go to Facebook to see us there. Um, We're also on Spotify and iTunes and wherever else you might find your podcasts. Until next time, when we talk about something completely different, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.